This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, and Lifeway hosted a track called How to Mature People Through Disciple Making. That's where we recorded the audio for today's episode. Daniel M. led this track for Lifeway's team, and one of the resources he mentions during this track is his new book, No Silver Bullets. We've worked with him to provide a sampler of this book, two chapters or so. So make sure to go online and download this free PDF sampler of Daniel's new book, No Silver Bullets, which is about five small shifts that will transform your ministry. Download this at discipleship.org lifeway. And just a heads up, we weren't able to capture all the audio when people ask questions. So bear with us as you hear presenters periodically respond without necessarily hearing the question at hand. And now for the track session. If you're here for session one, uh, uh, you probably grew in your appreciation of Daniel Eum. Uh, if you've not seen his new book, uh, No Silver Bullets, uh, fantastic book. Um, and uh, his insights on, on discipleship and ministry are, are top-notch. Uh, uh, Daniel uh, serves at Lifeway. I also serve at Lifeway. I'm the executive director of uh, Lifeway Research. And uh, so if you want to see the kinds of things we work on every day, lifewayresearch.com. About every two weeks we put out research. And uh, sometimes it's just a polling question. Uh, sometimes it's an entire big study. Uh, one of the big studies we did recently was on pastor spouses and uh, just some of the, the challenges of being a pastor spouse. And so, you know, when, when we dropped that, that was huge. Uh, this week it was just one question uh, related to Billy Graham and his ministry and his reach. Um, and of churchgoers, 96% of churchgoers know who Billy Graham is. I, can you think of another person who would have that, that kind of name recognition? And sure, uh, much, much higher... <laughs> You know, higher experience among older uh, folks than, than younger, but still incredible. Um, but, but that's my world, is asking a lot of questions. And so as we talk about spiritual uh, maturity and try to unpack that, that's kind of the angle I'm coming at it, is a, as a researcher, asking questions. And um, hopefully you'll see some value to that as, as, as we go through this today. Um, what, what is spiritual a spiritually mature disciple look like? If, 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 that's, if that's our role, is to disciple making, if that's our destination, what does a disciple really look like? And there's kind of an easy answer to that and a, and a hard answer. The, the easy answer is it looks like Jesus Christ. We, we're all seeking to follow Him and, and to become more and more like Him. Uh, but the complex side of that is, well, well what, what does that mean? What, what, what does that look like? And obviously, we've got to turn to Scripture to see what that looks like. Um, but really, it's, it's vitality. It's life uh, showing up in many ways, showing that a person is, is dependent on Christ and directed toward Christ. And, and pretty quickly, that, 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 little, that little word, many, um, get, gets a little intimidating because there's, there's some dimensions to this. Um, first of all, it's not just one-dimensional. It's 3D because discipleship must impact our beliefs, our desires, and our actions. Each of those is a dimension on its own. And a lot of times, at least in the churches that I tend to interact with, we dwell a lot on beliefs. 
and we really camp out on beliefs. Do you know what the Bible says? Do you believe it? I'm done. And yet, there's more to discipleship than that one dimension. Because if we go back to Deuteronomy 6, when God kind of gives us one of those moments in Scripture, I don't, I don't know if you're like me, when I, when I read a book, of any, bo- any book, but even in Scripture, I look for the poignant spots where it just says it really tight, really well. And Deuteronomy 6 is one of those spots where, where God did that because He was about to tell them how to tell their kids what a relationship with Him was about. And, and, and He sums it up, love the Lord your God, and He talks about dimensions. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And, and really that, that parallels these kind of researchy words I'm using, belief, desires, and actions. And, you know, if you think about it, and Scripture deals a lot with beliefs and actions. And if we have one without the other, James talks about that, John talks about that. Um, if, if we have uh, beliefs with no action, we're a hypocrite. If we have actions without desires, we have legalism. If we have beliefs and actions and we have no love, we're a gong or a clanging cymbal. So all these dimensions are important. And, and pretty quickly we start to think about our job as a disciple maker, as somebody who's pouring into somebody else's life, whether that's one-on-one, whether that's a small group, whether that's a large group, pretty soon we start to think about discipleship looking like that. There's a lot of things in Scripture that I'm supposed to be pouring into. And so not only are there the different dimensions that it's, that it's deep, but even if I just stop at the, at the knowledge level, the belief level, wow, it gets pretty wide, right? The human brain cannot comprehend that many things at once. There's been research done on how many things we can kind of handle at one time. And, and, the, and the magic number is around seven. Why do you think phone numbers were seven digits long? Until it, our city here in Nashville got too big and we had to add, dial, always dial the area code. Um, the human mind can only grasp so many things. So how do we take this task of discipleship and, and, and make it manageable? Um, and and, and keeping in mind that spiritual growth doesn't happen accidentally. So all those, all those outputs that we see in Scripture don't just happen accidentally. Spiritual growth happens through intentionality. And don't take this out of context. The intentionality begins with God. But God... I'm not even going to say with the, well, it's got to be his wisdom. We may second guess his wisdom sometimes that, that, that he would want to include us in that work. Um, but in his wisdom, he chose to include us in that work of discipleship. And he shows intentionality in this relationship. Who loved first? Was it us? No, he loved us first and demonstrated that love by sending Jesus Christ. Uh, which came first, our, 
our faith or his faithfulness? It was him. He begins the intentionality. The question is, in our discipleship, are we going to have intentionality? Because the alternative is, it's an accident and we're waiting for a miracle. Which, it all starts with a miracle. It all starts there, because God's getting it started. So, when we think about all those things in Scripture that we need to be uh, trying to bring out in somebody's life, we can start to look for priorities. Are, are there some ways to boil this down and to prioritize and to organize the things that we're pouring into from Scripture into, into a believer's life? And we boil those down to eight attributes of discipleship. And these eight attributes are not going to look like rocket science when you read them. But hopefully they'll begin to give you a framework, an organization, for prioritizing the everything from Scripture that we want to be imparting on a disciple. So we're going to look at these individually. So why I set this PowerPoint up to on this slide, I have to click on every one of them. <laughs> Did not plan ahead there. So those are the eight attributes of discipleship. Um, where did we get these eight attributes? And, and D- Daniel mentioned this briefly in the first session, um, but there's a, there's a history of years of research uh, that, that began uh, with, with my boss, Brad Wagner, when he was working on his dissertation. And, and the first step in this was scripture study. It was pulling out of scripture what is that long list of expectations of a follower of Jesus Christ? And just making the long, long, long list and starting to group them. And then here's the challenge. How do you ask if those are present? It's one thing to say, love others, love God, show kindness. It's another to ask if that's present in your life as a self-assessment or an outside observer, either one. It, it, it's, it, it's a completely different thing. I, um, I've had to do this a number of times as, as, as a researcher where I, we know we need to know a piece of information. How do we ask it in a way that we actually get accurate information, we get something that's clear? And, and so he wrestled with that, and, and thankfully he had a lot of theologians and experts review his early work, and so... Um, by the time I began to work with Brad uh, about 11 years ago, um, he had an instrument. And not only had he used it and proved it, it had been in a, in a discipleship resource, um, kind of a before-after test in the discipleship resource, which was kind of a, a novel thing to do to say, hey, even in a course, can there be measurable growth? Um, and, and, but it had never been tested nationally. And actually, I don't think it had been tested beyond just a couple of denominations. And so uh, back in the middle 2000s, we began testing that nationally and, and, and proved statistically that, that seven, he, he referred to them as discipleship domains, existed. Well, there, there's that magic number seven, right? That's, that's what we can remember, seven. That would be fantastic if there were seven attributes, right? But I've got eight, and I'll tell you why, where the eighth one came from. Um, 
back in, in 2011-12, um, we just felt like we needed to pour more into this. Uh, we had kind of done the, that the initial national test, uh, but we just felt like there was more. And, and in that phase, we began by interviewing discipleship experts. Um, there, were, there were more than 20, uh, not just in the U.S., but in other countries as well. And uh, I had the privilege of, of spending a morning with, with Robert Coleman and a, a fantastic morning, uh, one of those where as an interviewer, I didn't show off my skills because I only asked him a few questions. Wherever he wanted to take the conversation, I was happy to go. Um, it was, it, but one of the themes in those conversations with these folks that we look up to in, in, the, in this discipling world is two, two things. One is how simple discipleship is. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the second is somebody's got to take the initiative and show some intentionality. And so as, as much as we try to overcomplicate it, overthink it at times, if you ever get overwhelmed, step back to those two things, that it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'm going to invest in somebody else to help that grow. Let's not overthink it. Hopefully what these attributes do is give us some direction on how we can pour into them. Um, so... So with each of these dimensions, there's a series of questions that we asked people, six to ten questions, and statistically, one of the things we did afterwards is we tested, did those questions we ask actually go together? So ahead of time, you know, experts said, yes, you're talking about this theological principle, this, this principle from the Bible. Well, when we're talking to real people, when you and I see a question and we're answering it for ourselves, do we think it's talking about the same thing? And we actually see patterns in the data to tell us whether or not, we, whether or not it goes together. And so there were some questions we had to throw out. But at the end of the day, we had validated questions for each of these attributes. And so statistically, we feel very confident that these are constructs not only that are biblical, because that's where we started, but also are something that we can relate to and that you and I can observe in ourselves. And not all of these can you observe in somebody else because some, some of them are inside your head. Do you believe it? Do you want to? Um, so what is the value of looking at some attributes of spiritual maturity? We believe that they help us organize how we invest in others. Now, it can happen at the planning stage, planning sermons, planning experiences for a group or a congregation, planning curriculum. But it all, it's also something that when we know the needs of our group, which attributes are they struggling with, then as a group leader, we can help whatever curriculum we are using, we can take the application to the thing people are struggling with. And, and that's how we can pour into people's lives. So let's go through these one at a time. Bible engagement, we're going we're gonna to hit first. Um, and Bible engagement is more than just Bible reading. Bible reading is one of the questions. How often do you read the Bible? Um, and, and as Daniel mentioned earlier, 
of all the questions we asked, after all the cuts and everything else, there's like seven, I think almost 80 questions. Of all those questions, if we build a single score for, for, for spiritual maturity, the one thing that best predicts your spiritual maturity is how often you read the Bible. Nothing else that we could come up with, create, no demographics, which often are what swings things, reading the Bible. Not only in this study, it's been repeated in other people's studies too. Most recent one that we put out just uh, a month ago was some children's research. We asked parents at the end of the journey to look back on their young adult kids. Tell us all about those kids growing up. Tell us about what you did in the home. Tell us what they did. What did you do as a parent? Now tell us today, just a handful of questions. Spiritually, where are they at? Do they identify themselves as a Christian? Are they attending a church? Are they reading the Bible? Are they serving? What was the number one thing out of everything those parents described about those kids that predicted spiritually where they're at today? Did the child themselves read the Bible as they were growing up? So research over, if you want to read that whole study, it's in a book called Nothing Less. Nothing Less. Graphic designer wrote it, so not a, lot, not a ton of words. Beautiful graphics. Um, but as much as we want to go somewhere else with this, when Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, we can't come up with a discipleship plan that doesn't talk about the truth and doesn't engage people in the Word. So whatever your process is, if it's a ropes course for discipleship, or if it's an in-depth Bible study with lots of colored highlighters, it's got to have the Word. And it's got to get people into the Word. Let me give you just a couple of, of the findings as we were asking nationally. That sample of almost 3,000 American Protestant church attendees. Do you agree or disagree? I, I desire to please and honor Jesus in all that I do. So when it comes to that desire element in the Bible engagement territory, 9 out of 10 say yes. Well, how, how about, are, are you thinking about biblical truths throughout the day? Well, that drops a bit. We're down to less than 6 out of 10. Just being honest, am I thinking about biblical things throughout the day? Um, not always, but that's still a pretty good number. Biblical truths are still impacting a lot of, a lot of churchgoers. Um, there, there was a middle point on this. There's degree, disagree, there was a middle point. And uh, 1 out of 5 saying no. Just not thinking about biblical things during the day. That's for Sunday morning not thinking about it the rest of the week. How, how about that reading question? We've got almost the same number of people saying, I'm reading the Word of God every day, as you say, I rarely or never read the Word of God. Just less, almost one out of five people. We've got a quarter saying a few times a week, some other folks w within the month. We talk about engaging Scripture. Yes, this is a key piece of it, reading it. But we've got to help people fall in love with the Word of God. And so 
when we think about how on earth do we do that, I, I love the terminology that, um, that Daniel came up with about input, input goals. Oh, one other finding first. Um, this attribute, if you grow in this attribute of, bi- of Bible engagement, that directly says you're going to grow in five other areas. Okay? So it has influence on the others. So these, these eight overlap a little bit. Because if you grow in Bible engagement, you're going to b- grow in obedience. You're growing in sharing Christ with others. You grow in seeking God, grow in building relationships, and living unashamed. So how do we get there? How do we encourage, how do we encourage Bible engagement? Some of the inputs here, some of them are contained in the Bible engagement attributes. So reading the Bible, studying the Bible. Um, but as Daniel mentioned, it shows up here too. Not just over in sharing Christ, as he mentioned from the stage this morning, but confessing our sins to God actually is a predictor that we're going to want to go to the Word. That we're going to want to be thinking about the Word during the day. That we're going to we're going to actually make some decisions in our life that are different because we encountered the Word of God. That's Bible engagement. And that's what we want to be fostering. And another thing we're going to see show up a lot in these input goals is praying for non-Christians. Specifically praying for their salvation. Now, I think we'd all say that that's a good action. But it's actually an amazing indicator that you understand the mission of God. And when we talk about trying to get people to fall in love with God's Word, we can't do that unless they fall in love with God Himself and fall in love with with how much He's reaching out to us and how much He's already done to reach out to us. And again, we've got to go beyond the knowledge piece. Fill your head with more Bible. That's what Bible engagement sounds like, right? No, it's get to know God. And if we're, not, if we're not showing that dimension as we talk about trying to encourage people to read the Word, then the people who love to read might be in. But that's not the majority of Americans. And so, so we have a challenge ahead of us that... Uh, let me point out, point out one other thing. Um, you know, a lot of times people that have been in church a long time get a bad rap. And it's kind of the, oh, they're the ones keeping our church from going where it needs to go, doing what we need to do. But when we start to think about these outcomes, these attributes of maturity, spiritually, who do you think is going to be more engaged in the Bible on a given week? An 80-year-old or a 20-year-old? And the beautiful thing of the fact that statistics show us that the longer you've been following Christ alone, the more likely you're going to be Bible engaged, is I know that when stuff doesn't matter to people, they give it up. So when I see 80-year-olds in the Word, that tells me it's worth it. How do we share that message? That's one generation teaching another. And we've got to look for those opportunities. Let's go to the second attribute. Obeying God and denying self. You know, pretty quickly a verse like, if, 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 
when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Okay, we know this is coming. Uh, you know, very kids who've never gone to church have heard of the Ten Commandments. They know there's rules to follow, and church and rules kind of seem like they go together. Um, I would argue that this is, this is one of our biggest challenges for the church today in our society. Uh, we did a survey for Ligonier Ministries um, probably almost two years ago now on, on the state of theology in the United States, and we surveyed not just churchgoers, we surveyed Americans. And when we surveyed American adults, it's amazing how many of them gave actually the right answer to a lot of questions about theology. Most Americans believe in God. Most Americans believe in heaven. Most Americans believe that God authored Scripture. That God created men and women. The places they got really stuck, where we saw drops of 20% of Americans plus, is when we started talking about sin and judgment. When we ask people, agree, disagree, most people are by nature good. We've got some really high numbers on that. Really high numbers on that. We've got that phrase in our society. Somebody, a kid just screwed up, what do we say? But he's a good kid. Right? Yes, he just messed up, but he's a good kid. Our definition of good is not Jesus' definition of good, which is, oh, you call me good teacher? There's only one who's good. There's only one who's good. And that's God himself. And we, the rest of us fall short of that. And so this, by nature, this attribute is a hard one for Americans to swallow. We don't want to talk about this. And yet, and yet this is part of following Christ. Some of the indicators of, of somebody being mature when it comes to obeying God and denying self, uh, agreement with... Uh, this, this kind of knowledge, this belief element of a Christian must learn to deny himself or herself in order to serve Christ. Um, actually acknowledging that. And we see actually a pretty high level of agreement there, about almost two-thirds. Uh, but we showed the breakout here of strongly agreeing versus somewhat agreeing. And, and notice only a third are actually strongly agreeing with that. These are churchgoers. So churchgoers in America, only a third strongly agree with that. We've heard so many times that phrase, the free gift of salvation. That we missed that that was an illustration of the fact that we could never pay for it. It was not an illustration that it doesn't cost us anything. Right? It's going to cost us all we have. The parable of the pearl of great price. When he found the thing that was worth everything he'd ever seen as a pearl merchant. What did he do? He sold all he had to get it. Our followership of Christ means we have to deny ourselves, not just when we come to Christ, but every day. There will be moments where I want to do this. God, what do you want? Holy Spirit, talk to me. 
what's best. And we got a lot of folks where in terms of maturity, that's something we got to pour into them to say, this is part of following Christ is denying ourself. We talked about confession uh, a, a couple of times already. This is actually the attribute that it, it, it belongs in, but notice how much it points to others. And so obeying God, denying ourselves, part of that process is admitting we don't. We, we, we fall short. And, and for almost four out of ten churchgoers, this is an everyday thing. They're, ha- they're, they're keeping short accounts, which is a, a wise thing to do. Um, and, and yet we've got many folks that are, are, are waiting, and, and it's, it, it's even as often as once a month or less uh, that, they're, that they're checking in with God to say, I've messed up, and here's specifically where I'm not following what, what you want me doing. How about on the prevention side? Are you, are you trying to avoid situations in which you might be tempted? Uh, seven out of ten agree. But again, inside of that, we see that only a third strongly agree. Is this really a part of, of, of your discipleship? Are you thinking about ways not to put up a fence in the ways that Jesus criticized the, 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 the Pharisees for, of saying, this is part of, to be a Christian, I have to do this, but to say, to follow Christ, to, to honor Christ, I don't want to get close to that thing over there. I'm going to put my fence up here. And, and not to, put the, to impose those on others, but to be willing to impose them on ourselves uh, to, to, to avoid uh, immoral things in our own life. One more here. When I realize my attitude does not please God, I take steps to try to fix it. Um, eight out of ten agree, but again, we, we have a split there. Only a third strongly agree. And, and as a survey uh, person, I know there are some people that never give you the top point on the scale. And so I, I don't expect everybody to be in the strongly agree, but we know that number can be better. So it, it's a self-assessment. And so you'll notice that our questions try to go to all three places. So we try to ask about belief. We try to ask about um, actions. And we try to ask about are you trying to? Do you desire to? Do you want to? And so really in each of the attributes, we try to include questions that touch on all three. So I may not have given you examples of all of those. Um, and so in this case, they're, they're talking about, they're describing themselves. When I. Right, I, I can think back to the time. Yes. And I, I, I think for many people who take this, this self-assessment, um, yeah, I, I can't take it without the Holy Spirit bugging me on something. Where the Holy Spirit says, yes, I've been telling you about that. Um, it, it's just one of those kind of things. Um, but... But I think there's a point uh, in your maturity where you become a little more aware and, and you might score yourself a little harder for a season. And, and, and I, I think that's a natural thing. I'm assuming. And, and that's, that's a great segue to what are the inputs to obeying God? You just mentioned number two. So if we're one of the inputs to growing our obedience is reading the Word. I, I don't think we emphasize enough the word remember or reminder. You guys are all really smart people. You know a lot of stuff. 
that you learned all the way through school, that you learned on your job, that you learned in the books you've read. But if I ask you to share it all in the next hour, you'd only remember some tiny fraction of a percent. Now, if I ask you some key question that, that makes you go back to the science class in eighth grade, you might remember some postulate and share it with us. It's in there, but it's not top of mind. The Word of God is like that. If you've heard it all, a ton of it you're not thinking about today. And so part of reading the Word is bringing it back to the front. And as I read and I bring it back to the front, sometimes it hurts. Because I hadn't seen that in a while. I hadn't thought about it that way in a while. And, and it hurts a little more because there was a time that I knew that. I should have known better. But today, Lord, I need to confess that I'm not there. I'm not living that today. And, and so we, we've done research on how people read the Bible as well. And, and, and that's fascinating because there's not a lot of people that read through it in any systematic way. And so I would definitely encourage, when you're encouraging people to read the Word, have some system to it. Uh, not just the flip open thing or go to what you last heard somebody talk about or your favorite passage. Because uh, there's so much in the Word uh, that, that, that's there for us. Um, let me mention one other thing on, on some of these inputs here. I won't, I won't read every one of these as we go through these. But uh, one, one of them that makes the list is a, a more spiritually mature person is investing in them. Um, it, you know, James talks to us about confessing our sins to each other. When we're trying to conquer a sin, I've had this in my own life. When I actually share it with somebody and verbalize it, next time that temptation comes in, it's like, that's what I was dealing with? It's almost easy to, to, to fight it because I've shared it with somebody. And, and if there's any accountability that I know we're going to talk about it again, it, it becomes even easier to fight that temptation. And, and, and so it's always beautiful when statistics kind of show the stuff that Scripture's already showing. Let's move on to serving God and others. Um, you know, th- th- this is an interesting one to me uh, uh, because service has become popular in our country. So, you know, we're all concerned about Puerto Rico and, and how, how they're still suffering weeks after the hurricane hit. Um, it's amazing how people for reasons that have nothing to do with their, their faith in Christ, are doing some amazing things to help them out. So the owner of Tesla, you know, sends over this solar, like literally they set up like a solar power station in a parking lot outside of a hospital to power the hospital. Fantastic. That's awesome. That service, is it serving God? He didn't do it in Jesus' name. I don't know what his relationship with God is. But God has said if, if we don't have a relationship with him, then the very best we do is filthy rags. And so this one is going to get more confusing as our culture, if that wave continues, where businesses often have another purpose. We're going to give 
We're going to dig wells in places that need water, but we're selling you coffee. Or we're, you know, there are a lot of philanthropic, I don't know how to make that an adjective. Philanthropic. philanthropic, thank you. Philanthropic businesses today, and it makes it a little confusing. How is that different than when Christians serve? And I can't fully go into that today. I don't know as I fully figured it out today. Um, but I do know that in Ephesians, right after 2, 8, and 9, that talks about the beauty of coming to Christ through what He did for us, the gift of salvation, He said, it, it's that we're created to do good works. That, as believers, that's what we were created for. When the spiritual gifts are described, what are they for? For serving. So, so service is, is huge. Um, I also do know that, that Jesus says, he didn't, Jesus didn't say they will know you are Christians by your service projects. He, he said they'll know you're Christians by your love. Now, if you have love with no actions, they're going to question our love, right? It's not there. Um, so love's going to be somewhere in that answer, the thing I'm struggling with there, of how do we look different than the world in this. Um, but we can measure it. Serving is, a, is going to be on the action end of things in many cases, um, but some of it's intentionality. I intentionally use my spiritual gifts to serve God and others. Uh, just barely a majority uh, agree with that. About a quarter right in the middle on that. Neither agree nor disagree. Among churchgoers, I intentionally give up certain purchases so that I can use that money for others, serving others. Only four out of ten churchgoers agree with that statement. Is there sacrifice in our equation for serving? Or is that that really easy Red Cross text I can send after the hurricane and I'm done? We're, we're in that kind of society where it's easy to serve. I think the distinctives where the church stands out I don't see any businesses willing to be there when somebody's got something long-term. Who's willing to walk with an alcoholic on the way to recovery? Who's willing to be with that family who's an adult caregiver and they're looking at 20, 30 years of doing that ahead of them? That's where I see churches and individual believers serving and nobody else is and when we just ask about the the actions themselves I intentionally try to serve people outside my church who have tangible needs six out of ten churchgoers agree with that I almost walked out those doors myself <laughs> The big sign that says stop, just didn't do that. So this attribute not, is, is distinct in that if you grow in this area of service, all of the other attributes grow.
because a lot has to be going on inside of you in terms of your beliefs and what you desire and what really matters to you to get you to, to spend the time to do these things. And, and so service is huge. We've been hearing it for a couple decades now that maybe instead of saying that the requirements for serving in the church in certain areas no longer needs to be, you have to be a member for a year and dot, 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 dot. Maybe that's how we actually meet new people in our community. When we do surveys of the unchurched and we ask them, what would you be willing to do at a church? Come to a worship service, pretty low on the list. How about work together and do something for our community? Top of the list. Top of the list. So, Yes, we're trying to use this for discipleship, but keep in mind that it also can be an outreach uh, piece. This may be the piece of discipleship where somebody starts their discipleship journey. It could be with service. Some of the input goals uh, that, that can help, help service grow, uh, praying for non-Christians pops up again here. Again, if you've got a mission mentality, you're caring about lost people, you're going to be willing to serve them, and, and, and it, it's going to help. Obviously, getting involved in ministries that serve the community is, is in there, but um, you know, keep in mind that's intentional. That's a choice. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, ma- many of those who've written on discipleship in the past, uh, you know, um, a long journey in the same direction, uh, you know, talking about the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, you know, a lot of those are a choice. And, and you know, we talk about a marriage, and, and love is a choice. And when you invest in that relationship and you choose to invest in that relationship, the relationship grows. And so as we, as we choose to, to do some things in our relationship with Christ, there's growth. There's impact from that. And, and a lot of times in the church today, we, we, we kind of dumb down the requirements. We kind of dumb down what, what, what following Christ involves. And maybe we got too legalistic with it in the past, but we kind of don't expect everybody to be reading the Bible. We don't expect people to ever memorize a verse. We don't expect people to ever want to actually give up food for a meal to spend time praying. Those expectations have really just, no, no, let's not talk about that. Let me fill your head with more knowledge. And yet, when we take a choice that's a little uncomfortable at times, um, when you make a decision that's, that's potentially costly to you, you have enough faith to do that. You value the relationship with God enough to do that. Wow, suddenly you're serving more. Why? Because you said this is worth it. This following Christ thing is worth it. And it feels like we're going the other direction too many times. And we don't want to do that as a check a box. We want it to be a love relationship. And, so, and, and maybe that's our struggle. Maybe we haven't seen that modeled well. I don't know if I've seen that modeled well. How to do that well? How do we raise the bar well? 
I think that's a challenge for each of us today. Sharing Christ, uh, of the eight attributes, this may not surprise you, but it's the one that scores the lowest. Um, it, it, it's the biggest struggle. Um, and, and quite simply, uh, I, I'd say this is having an outward focus, uh, really thinking about those who are not following Christ. And, and, and as many have said, are, are you really a disciple until you start thinking this way? Um, is a great question to ask. Um, six out of ten churchgoers have not shared with anybody in the last six months. You've probably heard some wild numbers, higher, lower. Um, I question a lot of the sources for those. This was in the same survey. In the last six months, what have you done? And, and six out of ten have, have not, not shared in the last six months. Um, just under half have not invited anybody to church in the last six months. Sometimes the struggle is churchgoers literally don't know non-believers. They've not built any relationships with them. Yeah, they see them at the store, but they've not, they've not tried to develop anything. It's, it's let me be with Christians. Let me make sure that helps me live a holier life by being around people who are a good influence on me. I, I get some of that, but we've got a mission here, and it means we've got to be starting relationships and, and pouring into lives. Um, I should have started in the middle because I shared some of the bad news first. The good news is 8 out of 10 churchgoers actually understand and agree that they have a personal responsibility to be sharing Christ with non-Christians. So we still have some work to do there. Some people don't get that, that they're it. We're it. God doesn't have another plan. We're it. But eight out of ten people get that. And in fact, three out of four, 75% up there, actually feel comfortable sharing their belief in Christ with others. Now, they may not feel comfortable using your plan or this plan or that plan, but they'd be comfortable in a conversation sharing their faith. It could be pretty simple, yes. I, I think the bar is pretty low on that question. The, the good news, though, is... So I would agree with you that, that we need to develop them to go the next step. The good news, when we survey unchurched people and say, if a Christian wanted to share their beliefs with you, would you be willing? And I believe on that question we said, a Christian you know. So you have some familiarity with them. The vast majority of unchurched Americans, that includes the atheists, that includes the non-religious, that includes other religions, that includes Christians who used to go to church and don't anymore. Yes, the majority of them are willing to have that conversation with us. And it starts that simply, yeah, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, do we have any help for them to say what's next? We probably need to help them. But just naturally, why are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Having that simple, honest conversation is something that is accepted in our society. When we asked the unchurched if anybody had ever shared with them how to become a Christian, the benefits of becoming a Christian, two-thirds said no. So we're not getting that far. So I think you're raising a good point, that we're saying, we're identifying ourselves as that, but we're not saying what it means to us. And, and 
And six out of 10 saying, quite honestly, not even had that conversation the last six months. So what might help? What, what might help? What, what kind of input goals will, will help in trying to, 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 to build maturity when it comes to sharing Christ? Number one thing, praying for non-Christians. So when our church used our, our transformational discipleship assessment, so we could see where our congregation was at in each of the eight attributes, um, our, our, our adult minister, um, as I shared the results with our small group leaders, our adult minister was kind of like, you know, boil it down. You know, we've seen already a lot of these, right? A lot of inputs. What's one thing we could work on? Well, as a church, we were lowest on sharing Christ. I said, what if every small group made sure that our prayer time focused on just that? Let's pray for non-Christians. Let's not make this 10 things to do. Let's work on one thing. Because that's the number one thing that's going to predict we're going to be willing to verbalize this and share Christ, is if we actually start praying for people. Do we care enough to remember to pray tomorrow for my neighbor across the street, for my barber, for family members? And when we're sharing and, oh, yeah, I actually remembered somebody to add to the list last week. Oh, and you're going to ask me for an update. Right? Right? There's almost some built-in accountability there. Um, so, so some of these inputs can be really practical. Don't, don't overthink this. Grab one or two. It's actually doing it. And, and so, so some of these on the input side are actually in the attribute itself. So that second one, actually both those are in the attribute. Um, it, it's always a little more fun when some, one of them, like confessing your wrongdoings, is in a different attribute. And it like helps you on this one. Because, um, I mean, that, that's the thing. We're all going to be weak somewhere. So can we look at something we're strong on? Like maybe I was doing good in obedience in every area except sharing Christ. Let's pull something that I'm good at and, and make sure in my obedience that one actually does well. I'm actually keeping short accounts with God. That's going to actually pay off in, 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 in the sharing Christ attribute. Exercising faith. Faith is the confidence of, of what is not seen. Confident in, 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 in God's strength um, and, and not ours. Again, in a very independent nation we live in. Um, we, we want to pull ourselves off by our own bootstraps. Uh, faith is counter to that. Faith says we're going to be depending on God. We're looking for God's way, not ours. And, 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 and we're trusting that His way is going to be better. Um, as, 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 as the principles of scriptures are, are, are challenged more and more by our culture, it takes faith to say, no, God's way is better, even though it's not the most popular. Because we've grown up in a society where the majority rules and what, what the majority thinks must be best. Right? That, that might be a democracy, but that is not discipleship. Discipleship says God's way is best. And that takes faith. I believe that God has a purpose for all events in my life, regardless of whether I perceive each event as being good or bad. We actually get some really high agreement uh, on that question. And, and some of that is the, that's in the space where I don't know, God knows. 
That's, that's kind of that space. Um, when things happen in my life I can't explain, I typically doubt that God is involved. So a good answer here would be to disagree with that. And we do see 8 out of 10 churchgoers disagreeing that they doubt God. But you see 1 out of 10 agreeing, another 1 out of 10 kind of right in the middle on that. What are some things we can do to kind of spur exercising faith? That confession thing pops up again. It's amazing. These top two things right here pop up a lot as far as things that actually predict spiritual growth. Keeping really short accounts with God. And the more we're reading Scripture, the more we're going to know what we need to keep short accounts on. And praying for the lost. We can have some really long prayer lists that have nothing to do with that. Probably the one your church distributes has nothing to do with that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be praying for the people in the hospitals. We should. But that's the mission of the church. That's got to be that, that, that's got to be where we're at. And as disciplers, how do we foster that? Again, one-on-one, it's a quick conversation. Small group, that's the piece of the prayer list you talk about. Circulate the rest of the prayer list. We'll email it to everybody. But the one we're going to talk about is this one. The non-believers that we have, we're having interactions with that we're praying for. Participating in a small group Bible study shows up as a predictor for faith. Uh, faith grows through others. Um, this is also, uh, the wording of that question was not just being in a small group. It's actually a small group that involves study and homework. Kind of a group with kind of a high standard. You're actually going to be in the Word this week. You're going to wrestle with it this week. There's some blanks to fill in. There's an exercise to do. Um, there's a little accountability there with this group. Um, when, the, when you're setting the bar a little higher like that, faith actually grows. Faith's not going to grow if it's not challenged. Let's talk about seeking God. This is really kind of the worship space, uh, to be honest with you. Um, couple of the questions we ask as we, as we try to measure to, to what extent are disciples seeking God. Um, how often are you setting aside time for praise, thanksgiving to God? Is that part of, of the time you set aside with God? Does, does that include thanksgiving? Does it include praise? Does, does it include worship? I had a friend growing up that, you know, would, would, would literally be playing worship songs as, as, as part of his routine with God. And, and that's, um, a lot of times worship songs come into my mind as I'm reading Scripture, and I need to welcome that. I need to, I need to make that a part of, of that time with God. Um, and, and we see that, that, that about half of, of churchgoers, uh, men and women, uh, women a little more likely to, um, than men. How often do you set aside time for prayer of any kind outside of, of church or worship? Uh, seven out of ten say every day. Um, to be honest with you, as a researcher, 
prayer is the hardest topic to research, just in the religious space, because everybody says they do it. And so what we look for as a, as a researcher is some kind of gradation on that. And, and in this survey, we, we did better than probably any we've done because we ask about a lot of different kinds of prayer, prayer for different people. Um, but, you know, on this one, when it's prayer of any kind, um, you know, a lot of Americans, even, we even have atheists who say they pray, okay? So it's a really hard dimension. And yet, I mean, as a believer, I know there's a difference between the earnest prayer of a righteous man than a Lord thank us for this food. Glad I've already got mine on my plate, you know? Um, I'm, I'm on to it. Uh, you know, the, there's a difference there. And yet, I'm not sure in our discipleship we're teaching that difference. And I'm going to keep wrestling as a researcher trying to measure that better, but you got to start with at least having some kind of time spent in prayer to, to, to even be on the head, head in that direction. One of the main reasons I live my life the way I do is to please and honor God. Again, this is kind of that desire. Is there a desire to seek after God? Um, you'd think that every churchgoer would say yes to this, right? It, it's not true, though. This is part of discipleship. We have to say, you know, is this the main thing in your life? That doesn't just happen. We have to feed that. And, and sometimes I think we go straight to the knowledge stuff and we don't spend enough time on the desire stuff. This is a relationship with God. Do you want it? Because He sure wants you. And, and we've got to be feeding that. And we've got to be talking through that. And we've got to be, we've got to be celebrating that. And I, I think a lot of times I've stepped back when I've seen things like this and I say, you know, if somebody walked into our church and was just observing this Christian thing, and they walked in and they saw an entire service, would they get why we'd want to do that? Would they really get what this relationship's about and the benefits of walking with Christ? I think we've got, we've got to be more creative in that space. So I challenge our worship people. I challenge our pastors. I challenge our, our small group leaders. How, how can we foster that? That's got to be something we invest more in is, is the valuing the relationship. Because Jesus said, I have come to bring you life and life more abundantly. And he wasn't just talking about eternal life. He was talking about life right now. And can we describe that? My background, where my research started, is in market research. And in marketing, how do you sell something? You, you describe the benefits. The psalmist says, magnify the Lord with me. He didn't say make God bigger than He is. We just need to show the detail of how great He is. And I think sometimes we miss that in our discipleship is, is, is talking about the relationship and how great and wonderful He is. So, okay, you said you're setting aside time for prayer. You're setting aside time for this kind of stuff. Um, that's, that's intentional. But part of seeking God is the involuntary. Are you, without it, even seeing it coming, did you find yourself talking to God today? That'd be a great question to ask somebody if you're discipling somebody one-on-one. -on -one. Was there a moment this week where you just found yourself talking to God and you didn't, you didn't plan it, you didn't expect it? Now, 
Oftentimes, it's only when something bad happens, you know? Or you just narrowly missed hitting a car as you're driving, you're thanking God. Um, but, you know, just stopping and, and, you know, sometimes it's when a worship song pops in your head and you, and, and you, you sing it as a prayer. Um, that's what growing in Christ is about, is stopping and talking to Him because He's always with us. Let's take advantage of that. All right. My question time is, is starting to evaporate here. Um, some of the lead things that, that are inputs here are actually within the, the, the element itself of, of setting aside time for prayer um, and, uh, and private worship. <coughs> you know, confession, just, just keeping short accounts with God, valuing that relationship enough to say, you know, he said he hears us when there's not something in between us, right? We've got to deal with those things that are in between us. And, and, uh, and that's, wor- that's, worth, that's worth doing. Building relationships. Um, of all the eight attributes, this is the second lowest. And, and that surprised me a little bit when, when we first got this data because I knew that the church had just spent a whole lot of time investing in trying to take some of the fantastic Sunday school experiences from the 50s and 60s and 70s and say, how do we make sure those are relevant and relational? And, and, and so small group experiences were redefined in a lot of churches. And so after all that effort, we're still not doing very well. So, so this is something we've got to constantly invest in a, as a church. Um, and yes, we do that corporately, and we try to make sure our group structure and things are, are really good, and we're constantly trying to encourage people to get into groups. Um, but we got to do that on the individual level as well to show that, that that's, part of, that's part of growing in Christ is, are those relationships. Um, if we ask the, the, the typical churchgoer, have you developed significant relationships with people at your church? Uh, three out of four say yes. That's still a lot of people where, where, where they just, that's just not happened. And, and that's why you have more than, one set of, more than one small group in your church. Gives them some options. Try another one. Let's start another one. Let's, let's find a place for you. Um, I'm not remembering the exact numbers off the top of my head, but you know, we don't see seven out of ten churchgoers in a group. Okay, it, 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 it's, not, it's not there. Um, and actually, the next question actually is the, a hint at that, is how often are you attending a group? Um, and, and actually, four out of ten are admitting, never. I'm not in a group. So this is, this is on average, in America... At your church, if you're just the average church, four out of ten of your attendees are not in a group. They're not investing in this area of discipleship, at least through a group structure. It's not the only way to grow in relationships. We'll look at a couple others. But that's a pretty key one because because we know the Word of God should be in those groups, whereas some of these others may not be as intentional about having the Word of God as, as, as central. Another, another way, way we ask is, is kind of your posture toward building relationships within the church. Are you intentionally trying to get to know new people in the church? Only half of church, churchgoers say yes. Now, I get it. Your relationship uh, capacity might be about full. But uh, I don't know. I, I, when I visit senior citizens, a lot of those relationships, when you stop investing in new relationships, you find out you don't have anybody. 
right? I mean, that's just a human thing. That's not a Christian thing. That's a human thing. You've got to constantly be building new relationships or you won't have any. And as a believer, we're supposed to be pouring into those other people spiritually. And so we've got to start the relationship. Are you thinking that way? Is disciple-making part of your thinking as a churchgoer? Are you intentionally spending time with other believers in order to help them grow in their faith? You may not be the teacher type, but are you trying to encourage other people? What is your spiritual gift? Are you pouring in in that way intentionally? Four out of ten agree. That, that, that's something we don't think about in terms of... In, in terms of building relationships. Obviously, something within that, that attribute is, is the top item, attending a small class or a group. Um, you know, we, we saw earlier that uh, if you grow in serving, that helps, that helps all the other attributes. I've seen some great relationships happen among people who serve together. So that's not a Bible study setting. It's not a small group, but it's some great relationships. If your church has a choir... Oftentimes, there's a lot of great relationships there. They're serving through music. There's some great relationships there. Now, the beauty of a small group, though, or a Sunday school class, is it's also bringing the truth of God's Word into that. And, and we've got to be looking for, for settings to do that, uh, for sure. Uh, prayer, obviously, is a, is a big piece here. Um, actually, having responsibilities. You want to predict whether somebody's going to show up to church next Sunday? Do they have a job to do? That's the best predictor. Um, and a good portion of attendees don't have a job to do. Now, we don't need to be just making stuff up to make stuff up, but that's, that, that, that's part of it. All right, last attribute of, when we go to measure maturity. And this was not in Brad's original set. I told you he had seven. We have eight. And here's what we did. <coughs> When we were doing that analysis to say, do these questions actually go together? Did the stuff about Bible engagement really fit together? And which questions? Do we need to take any out? We had a lot of really good questions left over. And so we did some analysis on those. And we say, do any of these go together? And so off of the clipping room floor of attributes of, of, of discipleship stuff, unashamed pops up. These go together. In people's mind as they were responding, they gave very similar patterns. Doesn't mean they gave the same answer, but if, uh, if, if Larry was more mature than me, his answers were systematically higher on this, and mine had a similar pattern, but just lower. Okay? So the pattern was there. And if we think about our culture today, as we shift toward being a post-Christian culture, this is a super important attribute. Because on Sunday, we can act like everything's okay. But if the rest of the week, we're not willing to claim Christ, we've barely begun this discipleship journey. We throw the transparency word up there because a couple of these elements we're going to look at, and, and, the, and the one, even the ones we're not looking at, fall in kind of two pieces. One is within the church, one's outside. Because sometimes that unashamed element shows up inside the church, and it's kind of, are we willing to be transparent with each other? That 
I might need a little more of Jesus Christ in my life right now. And I, I, I think, I, I, personal opinion, I think, I think the church in the United States that I grew up in, 80s, 90s, 2000s, has been a church where we've said it's okay and it's actually desired for you to come to church and say everything's okay. That your life looks good. And I don't think that's the church God created. He created a church for us to come and say, here's what I'm struggling with. And if we don't have that kind of transparency in our lives, how are we going to grow as a disciple? And so when one attribute's lower, it's going to hurt the others. So if if I'm not being transparent with you that I'm struggling with some things, how good's my Bible engagement going to be? How, how good's my service going to be? Am I going to want to come serve alongside you if I'm faking it? I don't think so. So, so this is a, a key piece we, we've got to have in the picture of, of, of as we pour into people, diff, different people in the room are discipling in different ways, um, not being ashamed of the gospel of Christ inside the church, outside of the church, uh, the statement, many people who know me are not aware I'm a Christian. Uh, thankfully, seven out of ten churchgoers disagreed. But that means more than a quarter left the door open on that one. Not really making it known that I'm a Christ follower. I mean, maybe on a survey I'd check the Christian box because that's what I was born. But I'm not going to be a Jesus freak. I'm not... You know, let's, let's not go there. Um, how about inside the church? A Christian should obtain honest feedback about his or her spiritual life from other Christians. Two-thirds agree. Or proactively, I openly share about difficulties I'm experiencing when I talk with Christian friends. Just over half agree. Uh, we've got to invest to make church a, or our small group or our micro group or our one-on-one relationship such that this is safe. We're not, I'd say no, too, if I didn't think it was safe. If I just thought gossip was going to be the next step. We call it a prayer list, but it, you know, it, too often. Spiritual matters did not tend to come up as a normal part of my daily conversations with other Christians. Only 50% disagree with that. And again, this can be every day. It could be Sunday morning. No, we're going to talk about the game yesterday or the, one, the game right after church today. We're not going to talk about Christian stuff. Being unashamed of Jesus Christ. Number one thing that predicts being unashamed is, is reading the Bible. Just that, that daily reminder, that daily feed. This is the one I'm following. Wow, I love Him. Wow. A little more glimpse of who He is. Praying for other Christians. Wow, what, what if that's the culture in your groups? What if that's the culture in your church where we know people are going to pray for us when we say we're struggling? If, how do we foster that? Let's celebrate that when we see it. So I'll let you ask some questions. Here's a couple to, to ponder um, Which, which attribute have you been neglecting? Just it hasn't been on your radar? 
How about the people you invest in, the ones you're discipling? What do they need the most? If you just think about it, you might be able to figure it out. We do have a tool to help with that if, if, if you're interested. Um, how can you be intentionally or systematic about making sure these eight are hit? Does, does the curriculum you use uh, for, for Bible study, is it, there should be a scope, a sequence, uh, a plan for that curriculum. And, and, and is, it, is it hitting these kinds of things over time? The Word of God does, um, but, but when we go to create a tool, let's make sure the tool is, is doing those kind of things. Um, do you have questions for me? We go to try to measure maturity. We, we, we go to try to, to look at what we're aiming for. We've tried to narrow the list. Again, I've, I've, by showing you input goals, that I may have, and by showing you how we measure it, I've showed you a lot. But if you kind of think of the eight, Hopefully that's a manageable number to be thinking about and investing in. What kind of questions does that raise? A lot of overlap in the input goals. Can you kind of remind me how you came to those? Like how you yeah. land on those? Yeah. The, the, the question uh, I'll repeat for the recording is, is noticing that there's a lot of repeats in the input goals. Uh, how did we arrive at those? And essentially of, of all the questions we asked, and again roughly 80 questions, uh, we would turn around and say, statistically, which of those actually predict okay. that attribute? They were open-ended? They weren't... Uh, no, all, all, all numeric, all numeric. Um, in, in their answers. Um, but but by, um, using regression analysis, which is a, a, a statistical process that allows for multiple things to be looked at at once, um, which of those is most predictive? And then it looks for a second one. And it's going to find a second one that... Um, that helps the most in that, in that prediction, but overlaps very little with the first one. And so it was, it was fascinating to me that, like on, on Bible engagement, yes, reading and studying the Bible made the list, but they both made the list. So there's enough, there's something distinctive about studying the Bible that is different than just reading it. And they both are really valued from all the other parts of Bible engagement, of thinking about it, letting it transform our decisions, all those kind of things. Another question? The graphics you saw that, that I pasted in, those are actually all on, on our website, uh, lifewayresearch.com, just hit discipleship. And there's a separate article about each of the attributes and the graphics are in there. Um, a lot of information at tda.lifeway.com, which is where the assessment tool is at as well. Yes, sir. Um, yes and no. The, the curriculum line I use every week is, is called Bible Studies for Life, and that, that's available for every age group, and I happen to teach 6th uh, and 7th grade boys. And there's a scope and a sequence to that. It's, it, it's a more topical approach where it begins with, a life issue and, and takes you to scripture. But when I actually look at, 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 at the table of contents and what each lesson is about at the beginning, it actually gives me an icon for these eight attributes. And so one week it may just be one of them, but there are some weeks where that lesson is actually going to touch two or three. Um, and, uh, and there's never a week where it's not hitting any of them. Um, but uh, again, they've kind of done the work for me. 
chances are the curriculum, you know, the, another curriculum is going to cover them, but you almost have to go and check. It's worth, it's worth taking a quarter and kind of looking through. Is it going to be hitting them? Yeah, the, the, the question is asking about a couple different curriculum lines from, from LifeWay, whether some of the new, new formats of the Explore the Bible will be used in Bible Studies for Life. I'm not sure on that, honestly. Um, we have different editorial teams for each, and I, I think the goal is to have some distinctives, uh, not only in their approach to how, how the lessons are planned from Scripture, but also even in the experience. Um, but, but even there, when you, when you think about um, just learning, learning elements like that, you know, trying to drive people toward Bible engagement during the week, you know, trying to do it with others, you know, those are all good things to look for in curriculum to say, you know, is it going to reinforce some of these outcomes we're hoping to have? Can it change some conversations so that at the donut table, we're willing to talk about, you know, something in our relationship with Christ? You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Make sure to download the sampler of LifeWay researcher Daniel M's new book, No Silver Bullets, for free at discipleship.org LifeWay. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.